Welcome back to another episode of The Witching. My name is Shay, and I'm here with my co-host, Julia. And today, she's going to be reading from uh, her H.P. Lovecraft uh, spooky storybook. Um, And the story is titled, The Beast in the Cave. Yes. So we wanted to do another episode of reading spooky stories. Um, but then we realized no, that, that we're not allowed to read from keep creepy pasta. So, so we had to figure out something else. So I have this very large, chunky book of HP Lovecraft stories. So I decided to read one from there. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a good story. Um, this one, like she said, it's called the beast in the cave. It's pretty short, only like a couple pages. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll just get started. Um, so I'll start off with a little, um, introduction about the story, actually. So Lovecraft wrote his first draft of this story sometime before the spring of 1904 and completed the final draft on April 21st, 1905. He had no firsthand experience of caves, so he spent several days at the Providence Public Public Library, uh, boning up on the story's locale, Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. For the work of someone not yet 15 years old, the tale is surprisingly effective, and years later, however, Lovecraft would tone down some of the typographical eccentricities found toward the end of the narrative. On the manuscript, he has indicated that it forms part of the volume Tales of Terror. It was first published in the vagrant in june 1918 wait so he wrote this when he was 15 yeah okay well prepare to feel dumb (laughs) yeah because i was telling shay that like the vocabulary in this in all his stories is like insane i had to look up some words to be able to understand what he was talking about (sighs) so yeah all right so we'll just get started The horrible conclusion which had been gradually obtruding itself upon my confused and reluctant mind was now an awful certainty. I was lost, completely, hopelessly lost in the vast and labyrinth recesses of the mammoth cave. Turn as I might in no direction could my straining vision seize on any object capable of serving as a guidepost to set me on my outward path. That never more should I behold the blessed light of day or scan the pleasant hills of, and dales of the beautiful world outside. <clears throat> I'm sorry. My reason could no longer entertain the slightest unbelief. Hope had departed. Yet, in, indoctrinated as I was by a life of philosophical study, I derived no small measure of satisfaction from my unimpassioned demeanor. For although I had frequently read of the wild frenzies into which were thrown the victims of similar situations, I experienced none of these, but stood quiet as soon as I clearly realized the loss of my bearings. Nor did the thought that I had probably wandered beyond the utmost limits of an ordinary search cause me to abandon my composure even for a moment. If I must die, I reflected, then was this terrible yet majestic cavern as welcome a sepulcher as that 
which any churchyard might afford, a conception which carried with it more a tranquility than of despair. Oh, I love that sentence. Yeah, it was very hard to read. <laughs> oh, good, but I though. love it. I love okay. it. Good. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> All right. Starving would prove my ultimate fate, as this I was certain. Of this I was certain. Some, I knew, had gone mad under circumstances such as these, but I felt that this end would not be mine. My disaster was this result of no fault save my own, since unbeknown to the guide I had separated myself from the regular party of sightseers, and wandering for over an hour in forbidden avenues of the cave, had found myself unable to retrace the devious windings which I had pursued since forsaking my companions. Already my torch had begun to expire. Soon I would be enveloped by the total and almost palpable blackness of the bowels of the earth. As <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the way he said bowels of the I earth. I know. <laughs> All right. As I stood in the waning, unsteady light, I idly wondered over the exact circumstances of my coming end. I remembered the accounts which I had heard of the colony of consumptives, who, taking their residence in this gigantic grotto to find health from the apparently laborious air of the underground world, with its steady, uniform temperature, pure air, and peaceful quiet, had found instead death in strange and ghastly form. I had seen the sad remains of their ill-made cottages as I passed them by with the party, and had wondered what unnatural influence a long sojourn in this immense and silent cavern would exert upon one as healthy and vigorous as I. Now I grimly told myself, my opportunity for settling this point had arrived, provided that want for food should not bring me too speedy of a departure from this life. As the last fitful rays of my torch faded into obscurity, I resolved to leave no stone unturned, no possible means of escape neglected, so summoning all of the powers possessed by my lungs, I set up a series of loud shoutings in the vain hope of attracting the attention of the guide by my clamor. Yet as I called... I believed in my heart that my cries were to no purpose and that my voice, magnified and reflected by the numberless ramparts of the black maze about me, fell upon no ears save my own. So he was with a, a party? Yeah. He was like with a guide and like sightseers exploring the surrounding area in the cave, but then he went off on his own. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. All at once, however, my attention was fixed with a start as I fancied that I heard the sound of a soft of soft approaching steps on the rocky floor of the cavern. Was my deliverance about to be accomplished so soon? Had then all of my horrible apprehensions been for naught, and was the guide, having marked my unwarranted absence from the party, following my course and seeking me out in this limestone labyrinth? So that's what I mean, like, when I said earlier, like... <laughs> There's such long sentences to de describe something as simple as like, so was the guide looking for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, see. In the limestone lab. Yeah. <laughs> Having marked my unwarranted absence from the party, seeking me out in the limestone tavern. <laughs> like, like he's, all he's trying to say is, was he looking for me in the cave? <laughs> he was trying to be dramatic. Clearly. He was having main, char main character syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm going to purposefully get lost yeah. so everybody has to look for yeah. me. <laughs> and I could be all dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Whilst these joyful queries arose in my brain, I was on the point of renewing my cries in order that my discovery might come the sooner, when in an instant my delight was turned to horror as I listened. For my ever-acute ear, now sharpened in the ever- in the now sharpened in even greater degree by the complete silence of the cave, bore to my unnumbed understanding that the unexpected and dreadful knowledge that these footfalls were not like those of a mortal man. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I, Sorry, I, it took my brain a second for, it's okay. for you to say the word footfall and then it mean footsteps. Yes. And then I was like, footfalls, footfalls. Does that mean <laughs> footsteps. Uh, like like ledges for foots? Oh. Like for, for, for foots, I, for feet? I, like, I could see how you might think that. And I was like, wait. And then I, and then you said like, un, what did you say to describe them? Un, Unexpected un, and dreadful. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Dreadful. Okay. I just paused because in the book, um, the the part where it says not like those of a mortal man is in italics. So it's like trying to get you to be like, oh shit. <laughs> and it, oh yeah, that with the way you said in it, a mortal man. Yeah. So this is a, let's infer. Um, it means so he said he he specifically stated that this was not of a mortal thing. Yes. So he think so that to me my brain is like oh, this is a. This is a godly creature, or this is like some mythological creature thing Maybe. that's coming, or or giant man, thing a giant man <laughs> that I don't necessarily. When I think of caves, I don't necessarily think of anything humanoid. Mm-hmm. I think of like bat creatures or like cave dwelling creatures. I don't think of humans. Yeah. So. Yeah. That makes I sense. Don't, I don't think of anything that's going to stand on two legs. Well, we'll see. Dot, dot, yeah, dot. I'm scared now. Okay. In the unearthly stillness of the subterranean region, the tread of the booted guide would have sounded like a series of sharp and incisive blows. These impacts were soft and stealthy as of the padded paws of some feline. Besides, at times, when I listened carefully, I seemed to trace the falls of four instead of two feet. I was now convinced that I had, by my cries, aroused and attracted some wild beast, perhaps a mountain lion, which had accidentally strayed within the cave. Perhaps, I considered, the Almighty had chosen for me a swifter and more merciful death than that of hunger. Yet the instinct, yet the instinct of self-preservation, never wholly dormant, was stirred in my breast, and though escape from the oncoming peril might but spare me for a sterner and more lingering end, I determined nevertheless to part with my life at as high a price as I could command. Strange as that... What? He said, I decide to part with my life at a high price? Yeah. What does that mean? He's going to fight for his life? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I determined... Oh, sorry, I read that already. Strange as it may seem, my mind conceived of no intent on the part of the visitor save that of hostility. Accordingly, I became very quiet, in the hope that the unknown beast would, in the absence of a guiding sound, lose its direction as I had, and thus pass me by. But this hope was not destined for realization, for the strange footfalls steadily advanced, the animal evidently having obtained my scent, which in an atmosphere so absolutely free from all 
distracting influences as is that of a cave could doubtless be followed at great distance Mm. seeing therefore that i must be armed for defense against my uncanny and unseen attack in the dark i grouped about me the largest of the fragments of rock which were strewn upon all parts of the of the floor of the cavern in the vicinity and grasping one in each hand for immediate use awaited with resignation the inevitable (laughs) result sorry that's another example like he basically just said, I grabbed some rocks around me from the floor. And, like, you know, that's all he said. Yeah. <laughs> but it I was know. like a sentence of like five lines yeah. <laughs> to describe yeah. that. <laughs> anyway. Meanwhile, the hideous pattering of the paws drew near. I don't know if the word pattering is as menacing as he thinks it is. Yeah. No offense when I but think if, of the word pattering. When you're in a, a pitch black cave and you hear pattering paws, like, that's yeah. fucking creepy. <laughs> I, it's creepy, but I still only think of, like, a duck on a hardwood floor. <laughs> like, I don't necessarily think of, like, this ferocious animal. Like, I guess. I, like, if, if I heard, like, uh, what would be the correct word? Not scratching or like Like clawing, like muffled clawing at the dirt. Like, you know, like not like pattering. Pattering to me is not like the right word. Anyway, I feel you. That's just my mind. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Certainly, the conduct of the creature was exceedingly strange. Most of the time, the tread seemed to be that of a quadruped. Treads. Sorry. That's a good word. Yeah, that is good. But he uses it like in the next sentence. So it's good. Yeah. Okay. Most of the time, the tread seemed to be that of a quadruped, walking with a singular lack of unison betwixt hind and fore feet. Yet, at brief and infrequent intervals, I fancied that but two feet were engaged in the process of locomotion. I wondered... Another example. He's saying, I fancied... It's a four-legged creature. He's saying, I fancied but that but two feet were engaged in the process of locomotion. (laughs) Like, he's saying, I heard two feet walking. He says, in, we're engaged in the process of locomotion. <laughs> Wait. To say Wait. walking, he says, engaged in the process of locomotion. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, so, no, uh, wait, I'm confused. So why did he say, he said, first, wait, wait, sorry, my brain is... He's saying, he's saying that sometimes it sounds like it's walking on four feet and sometimes it sounds like it's two feet. Okay, I thought he was saying I'd rather it walk because he said I fancied it. He's, when he says that, he's saying like, that's what I was thinking like oh okay yeah. god damn it this yeah i could not survive in this timeline i know the way that they talk i know it's like i would be like what did you say <laughs> <laughs> non-stop but this is interesting to me the locomotion part what does that trigger your brain to think i think of Train. trains <laughs> yeah i know both of me and you were like train <laughs> yep yep well because it's a locomotive yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't think of a bipedal thing doing locomotion. Yeah. You but technically locomotion just means like something in motion, something moving. That's very true. Yeah. Um the 
quad what did he say what was that the quadrupedal yeah he said the tread seemed to be that of a quadruped the quadruped so he -hmm. was saying that in the beginning was a four-legged four-legged creature which i inferred Mm -hmm. From mm-hmm. him saying, not a mortal man. I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. a creature. But now that he's saying that it sounded like it was on two feet and then on four feet, that's spooky. That's yeah, creepy exactly. to me. I do not exactly. like that at all. Exactly. I, that's why he's like, he's like, the conduct of this creature was exceedingly strange. <laughs> like, obviously. The conduct? Yeah. You're about to die. Clearly. Exactly. <laughs> Right. You no, know, wait. You know what that reminds me of a little bit? The creepiness factor. What? The Winston Wildman. Yeah, a little bit. He, the 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 amount of like weird shivery chills that my spine endured while you read <laughs> that, and, like that creeped me out as much as that did for whatever. Well, yeah, because just think of like some kind of like creepy beast thing, like walking on all fours, and then all of a sudden it gets up and starts running at you. Ew, absolutely not. (laughs) Gross. Possessed. Okay. All right. I wondered what species of animal was to confront me. It must, I thought, be some unfortunate beast who had paid for its curiosity to investigate one of the entrances of the fearful grotto with a lifelong confinement in its interminable recesses. It doubtless obtained as food the eyeless fish, bats, and rats of the cave, as well as some of the ordinary fish that were wafted in at every fishet of Green River, which communicates in some occult manner with the waters of the cave. I occupied my terrible vigil vigil with grotesque conjectures of what alterations cave life might have wrought in the physical structure of the beast. Remembering the awful appearances ascribed by local tradition to the consumptives who had died after long residence in the cavern. Then I remembered with a start that even should I succeed in killing my antagonist, I should never behold its form, as my torch had long since been extinct. I was entirely unprovided with matches. The tension on my brain now became frightful. My disordered fancy... Oh, now it does? What? Now it becomes frightful. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, like you weren't what? scared before. What the fuck? I know. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. My disordered fancy con- conjured up hideous and fearsome shapes from the sinister darkness that surrounded me and that actually seemed to press upon my body. Nearer and nearer, and nearer the dreadful footfalls approached. It seemed that I must give vent to a piercing scream. Yet had I been sufficiently irresolute to attempt such a thing, my voice could scarce have responded. I was petrified, rooted to the spot. I doubted if my right arm would allow me to hurl its missile at the oncoming thing when the crucial moment should arrive. Now the steady pat-pat of the steps was close at hand. Now, very close. I could hear the labored breathing of the animal, and terror-struck as I was, I realized that it must have come from a considerable distance, and was correspondingly fatigued. Suddenly the spell broke. My right hand, guided by my ever-trustworthy sense of hearing, threw with full force the sharp-angled bit of limestone which it had contained, toward the point in the darkness from which emanated the breathing and pattering, and wonderful to relate, it nearly reached its goal, for I heard the thing jump landing at a distance away where it seemed to pause. Having readjusted my aim, I discharged my second missile, this time more effectively for 
With a flood of joy, I listened as the creature fell in what sounded like a complete collapse and evidently remained prone and unmoving. Almost overpowered by the great relief with ru which rushed over me, I reeled back against the wall. The breathing continued in heavy, gasping inhalations and, es and expirations, whence I realized I had no more than wounded the creature. Now all desire to examine the thing ceased. At last, something allied to groundless, superstitious fear had entered my brain, and I did not approach the body, nor did I continue to cast stones at it in order to complete the extinction of its life. Instead, I ran at full speed in what was as nearly as I could estimate in my frenzied condition the direction from which I came. Suddenly, I heard a sound, or rather a regular succession of sounds. In another instant, they had resolved themselves into a series of sharp metallic clicks. This time, there was no doubt. It was the guide. Then I shouted, yelled, screamed, even shrieked with joy as I beheld the vaulted arches above the faint and glimmering fulgence, which I knew to be the reflected light of an approaching torch. I ran to meet the flare, and before I could completely understand what had occurred, was lying upon the ground at the feet of the guide, embracing his boots and gibbering, despite my boasted reserve, in a most meaningless and idiotic manner pouring out my terrible story and at the same time overwhelming my auditor with um, protestations of gratitude at length i awoke to something like my normal consciousness the guide had noted my absence upon the arrival of the party at the entrance of the cave and had from his own intuitive sense of direction proceeded to make a thorough canvas of the by passages just ahead of where he had last spoken to me locating my whereabouts after a quest of about four hours. Four hours? Yeah. So, basically, he threw rocks at the creature, he wounded it, he ran, he found the guide, he told the guide what happened, and the guide said he was looking for him for four hours. Crazy. Awesome. Yes. Okay. By the time he had relayed this to, related this to me, I emboldened by his torch and his company began to reflect upon the strange beast which I had wounded but a short distance back in the darkness, and suggested that we ascertain, by the rushlight's aid, what manner of creature was my victim. Accordingly, I retraced my steps, this time with a courage born of companionship, to the scene of my terrible experience. Soon we descried a white object upon the floor, an object whiter even than the gleaming limestone itself. Cautiously advancing, we gave vent to a simultaneous ejaculation of wonderment. For all of the unnatural monsters either of us had in our lifetimes we held, this was in surpassing degree the strangest. It appeared to be an anthropod ape of large proportions, escaped perhaps from, an, from some itinerant menagerie. Its hair was snow white, a thing due no doubt to the bleaching action of a long existence within the inky confines of the cave but it was so surprisingly thin being indeed largely absent save on the head where it was of such length and abundance that it fell over the shoulders in considerable profusion the face was turned away from us as the creature lay almost directly upon it the inclination of the limbs was very singular explaining however the alternation in their use which i had before noted whereby the beast used some sometimes all four and on other occasions but two for its progress 
From the tips of the fingers or toes, long nail-like claws extended. The hands or feet were not prehensile, which means like they can't grab things. Mm. A fact that I ascribed to to that long residence in the cave which I had before mentioned seemed evident from the all-pervading and almost unearthly whiteness so characteristic of the whole anatomy. No tail seemed to be present. So it's basically like a white ape. (laughs) So a very thin white anthropod-ish ape. A very thin anthropod white ape. Yes. I'll keep reading. The respiration had now grown very feeble, and the guide had drawn his pistol with the evident intent of dispatching the creature, when a sudden sound emanated by the latter caused the weapon to fall unused. The sound was of a the sound was of a nature difficult to describe. It was not like the normal note of any known species of a simian, and I wondered if this unnatural quality were not the result of a long continued and complete silence broken by the sensations produced by the advent of the light a thing which the beast could not have seen since its first entrance into the cave the sound which i might feebly attempt to classify as a kind of deep-toned chattering was faintly continued all at once a fleeting spasm of energy seemed to pass through the frame of the beast The paws went through a convulsive motion, and the limbs contracted. With a jerk, the white body rolled over so that the face was turned in our direction. For a moment, I was so struck with horror at the eyes thus revealed that I noted nothing else. They were black, those eyes, deep, jetty black, in hideous contrast to the snow-white hair and flesh. Like those of other cave denizens, They were deeply sunken in their orbits and were entirely destitute of iris. As I looked more closely, I saw that they were set in the face less prognathous than that of an average ape and and infinitely more hairy. The nose was quite distinct. As we gazed upon the uncanny sight presented to our vision, the thick lips opened and several sounds issued from them, after which the thing relaxed in death. The guide clutched my coat sleeve and trembled so violently that the light shook fitfully, casting weird moving shadows on the walls about us. I made no motion, but stood rigidly still, my horrified eyes fixed upon the floor ahead. Then fear left, and wonder, awe, compassion, and reverence succeeded in its place, for the sounds uttered by the stricken figure that lay stretched out on the limestone had told us the awesome truth. The creature I had killed, the strange beast of the unfathomed cave, was, and had at one time been, a man. What? What? How did you come to that conclusion? Because it, it, it looked like a man. Like, he had the face of a man. He's saying that, basically, the when he says, I saw that they were, when I looked more closely, I saw that they were set in a face less pro- prog prognathous than of the average ape so he's saying that like so prognathous means like having a lower jaw so he's saying that like the creature had more of a jaw than like that of a normal like ape so it looked more human okay so if you think about it the man's like face was thin his body was thin he had arms and legs he had hands he had really long claws he had hair on his head he was just like 
a man who probably got lost in the cave like a long time ago. His skin turned white and he just like adapted to the cave. I see. So it was a humanoid. Yes. But he was like crawling on his hands and feet and then walking and then crawling and then walking. So that's why there was pattering. Yeah. Crazy, right? Ew. I know. I hate that. I don't like how his eyes were black. That's <laughs> yeah. That's good. I like Gross. that story. I know. It's a good story, right? Mm-hmm. It really was. Yeah. He has a lot of good stories. Like, I've read some of his other ones. Like, obviously, Call of Cthulhu is a really good story. Uh-huh. Dagon's yeah. a good story. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Next week, we will find some other spooky stories to read for you Halloween. You know what? I have um, New Eng- a New England, specifically New England spooky storybook. Oh, okay. And it's just with folklore from New England. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that would be good. And they're like super short stories. Okay. So maybe I'll read like two or three of them. All right. Well, thanks guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story and could endure my awful reading skills. It wasn't um, awful. <laughs> it was lovely in HP Lovecraft, even though he was 15 and a minor yeah. is intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure when, when you guys listen to this, you're not going to hear all the mistakes that I made because we're going to edit them out. So <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Um, yeah, so thanks guys for listening. And um, if you have any suggestions for future episodes or anything, just let us know. Um, and we'll see you at the next episode of The Witching.